Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Tuesday topics. Um, there are those who, who might think that tonight's show is going to be a sad one. Uh, if it works out the way that I want it to, I don't think it will be. Because the person whose life we are celebrating this evening, uh, who died on September 11th, 11th, Mr. Charles Henry Crawford III, who knew, um, actually is a person who spent his life laughing. And so I'm hoping that we will spend a good part of this program laughing as well. But at the same time, as he smiled and was friendly, he got an awful lot of things done. And so we will spend some time this evening talking among ourselves uh, about a person who every single one of us miss terribly um, because when he left us, he took this huge personality away from us. And I think every single one of us who is on this call, whether you're just listening, if you had any contact with Charlie, his personality came through and you recognized uh, that you were dealing with someone who believed that life was to be lived and that damn it, he was gonna live it. Um, we'll have lots of stories to tell so what we're going to do, I think, is kind of take uh, the portions of Charlie's life uh, one element at a time. And so my, my co-host, Rick Morin, is going to have quite a lot of work to do because we're going to be doing hand-raising uh, after various aspects of, of the show, and, and they'll, they'll come relatively recently. Charlie was born on August the 28th, 1947, and lived much of his childhood in Bayamon in Puerto Rico. And um, I don't know an awful lot about his childhood in Puerto Rico. Um, I know three things that I'll talk about, and then I'll see if anyone else has hands to raise. Uh, he indicates that... Um, his mom stayed at home and his dad worked. Uh, he used to uh, go into town for the most part, I guess, on his own, on a, a trolley car or some kind of public car, and used to, um, for many years, actually go to church before he went uh, to school, which is, which is kind of interesting. Uh, there, there are two incidents he remembers, one that he got into all kinds of trouble for when he and uh, his brothers and sisters decided it would be a good plan to paint a car, uh, a family car, uh, that, 
the family didn't particularly want to have painted, but they did it anyway. And he also tells another story about setting uh, a, a, a farmer's field on fire when they were playing cowboys and Indians. Um, he, says, he says they never got caught over that. So you have been caught now, Mr. Crawford. So let's see uh, if, if anyone out there uh, knows more about Charlie's childhood. I'll, I'll talk about one other childhood thing, but uh, I'm going to wait for a couple of minutes for people to raise their hands while I talk about that last thing, and then I'll ask Rick to see if there is anybody who'd like to talk some about Charlie's childhood. But the other thing that, that Charlie and I actually had in common is in an interview that he did a, a couple of years ago, he asked he was asked whether he remembered some times that he was discriminated against. And one of the things that he recalled was when he was a teenager, he had a serious vocation to become a priest. And he went and talked to a priest about this. And essentially the priest said uh, what, what I was told as well, because I had that same vocation, probably at about the same age as Charlie was. And he was told, and I was told, well, that's very nice, but um, you better go back and think of something else to do with your life because you're just not suited to be a priest because you're blind. So forget it. Um, and even two or three years ago when this interview was done, he still remembered that as a time where he felt very discriminated against and, and, and as though his blindness was in fact denying him an opportunity to do something that he really felt uh, called to do. All right. So Charlie somehow ended up in uh, early 1970 or, or by 1970 in Massachusetts. I'm a little uncertain about uh, the time uh, between his his childhood, and he was born in 1947, and the time that he made it to uh, to Boston. Uh, but in Boston in 1970, there was this whole group of young blind kids who somehow came together. And I would love it uh, if some of the folks who were involved with that, if they're on the call, will tell us something about the the organization of the blind group and, and how it eventually evolved into the Bay State Council. So I hope that, uh, that a few people will raise their hands to talk a bit about that. I, we are here. <laughs> we are here, Paul. It's, it's this Kathy is, and Chris. This is Chris, Chris Devon and Kathy Devon. Correct. Kathy, right. you also have an important part to play in this story. Yeah, right? yeah. He, he, he was involved with Charlie in a, in a, in a way, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so, uh, Chris well, Kathy, Kathy, why don't you start? It's all yours. Ka Kathy, all why right. don't you start? Because you, you were in the organization first. Kathy got in when it started. I got in in 72 and it started in 71. So Kathy can get things rolling here. Yeah. The way I met Charlie, we had a, it started off really as a more of a social organization at first with a bunch of blind kids that, uh, most of us were just getting out of college and we were unemployed and we wanted to, find something interesting to, to get into and get political about and whatever. So we started something that was first called Blind Leadership Club in Massachusetts. And then from there, um, Charlie kept researching different things and learning about organizations and 
there were a few of us. There was Marlena Lieberg, and there was Terry Pacheco, and there were Phyllis Mitchell. Phyllis Mitchell, um, to name a few, that were really movers and shakers in it. And then Chris came along, but there were. So when we first started, it was supposed to be more of a social thing, and then we wanted to get political, and Charlie got turned off by Ken Jernigan, and then... So how um, did that happen? Did he go... uh, He went to a federation uh, convention meeting in Massachusetts, right? and he wasn't impressed because they wouldn't let him talk. Well, that's... (laughs) Charlie liked to talk. That that wouldn't work. Nope. (laughs) So he came home and decided that wasn't very cool, and somehow or other, um, he uh, got a hold of Derwood McDaniel, who came up and talked to the bunch of us, and uh, we decided that ACB seemed like a much more democratic uh, vehicle for us, uh, where we could uh, have, at that time we had, it was mostly a student group, you know, we because the, the Federation had said, the Ma- National Federation in Massachusetts said, no, no, we couldn't have a student chapter. We had to do it their way, and that didn't impress Charlie at all. So anyway, we then started to, he did some, you know, uh, talking to people that he knew, and, and uh, we started uh, what was then going to be the Bay State Council. Well, that was later. You're skipping way ahead to 76. But in 71, in the meantime, you guys were, you had a music group, didn't you? Well, that was one of the things we did. And there was some of us. Well, we'll were, get to some others later, but what about the music group? Oh, do you want to do it or do you want me to do it? I want you to talk about the things you're going to talk about, but I want, I'm prompting you to talk about the music group that you were in, the Boston well, Commoners, correct? Paul, you just lost control of the show. <laughs> no, okay. Never mind. Never I'm mind. Good. Um, I'm good. We did a lot of social things, and one of the things that Charlie uh, and I got into for a little while, we had a uh, kind of like a folk group. And um, with this other guy who's no longer uh, living, but anyway, we, country too, right? Country. We did. Folk. Oh yeah, we did a lot of country because Charlie loved country music. Yes, he did. And yes, so did. we called ourselves we called ourselves the Boston Commoners <laughs> because one of the things we did, everybody did it back then. You sort of had this ongoing thing like Greenwich Village, where anybody could get it and go go to Boston Common and take your guitars and set yourself up. And Charlie used to play the drums, the congos and the uh, the conga drums he had, and I had a guitar, and um, so anyway, we we uh, used to get uh, on the common and sing, <laughs> and uh, then now Marlena we, had a pretty good voice. Did she sing with you guys? She did. Oh, Marlena had yeah. a wonderful voice. Marlena and I used to harmonize a lot. Yeah. And um, and and Charlie, if he gave him the pitch, he was sort of like Johnny Cash. Kind of had to go. Mm. And then once <laughs> you got on into where he was supposed to sing, he was okay. Yes. <laughs> so so when I joined when I joined Blind Leadership, and then the, this was in 1972, and I was very impressed. Now I had heard of Marlena before because she'd been on the radio for various reasons, but and but Charlie, I didn't know Charlie, but I was very impressed with him and Phyllis. I had not known them. I knew who Kathy was a little bit, but you know, again, and and Terry, I met. So very dynamic people, uh, you know, people that you knew were going to be. We've been very lucky in the state to have uh, those of us in the early days. And then later, when things were kind of slowing down on that, here came uh, Kim and Brian Charlson. I mean, hey, yeah. you know, you, we have been, that is why Massachusetts has been a strong, 
affiliate since 1971 and 72. But Charlie was the president, uh, and they, we had one-year terms. We were very involved. We had committee meetings all the time. Uh, so Charlie was president one year, and then it was Marlena, and then it was Phyllis, and then it was uh, Charlie again, and then it was me. So we had, you Well, know, one other thing was none of us were, were working, and we didn't have any money. So we could sit around and just, you know, solve the world's problems and have endless meetings with That's right. at everybody's houses. That's right. So then, though, Ch- <laughs> Kathy, to move on to, to slightly ahead, uh, you and Charlie uh, started hanging out. Well, we had been before, um, uh, you know, and then we, we ended up uh, uh, going out and uh, we got married in 1973. And um, then I, I was, uh, I, I, Got a job working for the Civil Service Commission in in Boston. Uh, had to go to Arkansas and train for that. And then Charlie was working for the Attorney General's Office of Massachusetts. That was the first job that he got. Um, and so then, as I, we started this this uh, group, and and as I said in the beginning, it really was was kind of social, and then it started to get. More uh, political, more yeah. political, yeah. yeah. So Go then, ahead, then, so what happened was, so Charlie's working for the attorney general. Kathy and Charlie are married. Uh, some of us were getting jobs and moving along, and along came Otis Stevens. That's another person we need to mention, and he helped us organize Bay State Council of the Blind because what had, had happened was we were pretty much a youth group. We were we had about thirty people, thirty thirty five people. We were doing very well, but we weren't branching out into the uh, to the older generation that might have been. Uh, people, uh, there's there's our cat. Uh, that might have been, uh, you know, uh, disillusioned uh, with the NFB or whatever, or just were interested in getting involved. So Otis helped us with that, and of course Otis, former president of. So every time Massachusetts has needed some folks to come in and do something, because we were all getting busier, so we were sort of ready for a state organization at that point. But Charlie, of course, had to pull back because he got more and more involved. He started to work for the Commission for the Blind. And he was uh, the, uh, the client assistance project director. You're skipping a little bit there. Um, so when he was working, first he was working for the attorney general's office, and that was okay because it was kind of like a consumer uh, protection agency. So that he was even then really involved in consumer things, and people would call up when they had problems, and he'd try to solve them and, and do all kinds of stuff. So that's uh, way before he started to get involved with the commission. At that time, we were kind of... Uh, opposed to some of the things going on with the Mass Commission. And that's, you know, what Charlie was doing in right. the very beginning. Right. But by 78, he started to work for the Client Assistance Project. And then when we, when, um, I, I think, I think he was appointed by Mike Dukakis. I'm not sure. Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah. And yeah. then he became, yeah. and then he became commissioner. And he was commissioner of the blind. And we have a state, a separate agency here, Mass Commission for the Blind. And he was commissioner from 84 until 98 when he went to the national office. But he was, he was not then there, therefore able to be involved in ACB. But we knew he was an ACB person. And I just want to tell one more story because then it'll move on to other phases. But um, I want to talk about 1994. Kathy uh, and Charlie had gone their separate ways and so I forth. I was in Canada. She was in Canada and, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And, and uh, of course, remained friendly all along, as I certainly did. And I was a, Charlie and I were great friends uh, all the way through the 70s. Didn't see him as much anymore, but he played ball with us. We, you know, had just had a lot of fun. But anyway, in 1994, Charlie was going to go get a guide dog. This is the year the convention was in Chicago. And my friend Rick, Rick Swan and I went, and uh, we were in the, and Rick's a vendor, so we were in the vendor suite in Chicago up in the Palmer House. It was very nice. 
and uh, you know, really, really a good place. And they, we had a, a get together there one Monday night. Everybody just walked in and just started hanging around. About one in the morning, it really got going because I think the CCLV dance got over or something, and people came in. So in comes Terry Pacheco. I think Terry and Frank were there. Uh, Charlie and I were there. Rick was there, and MJ Schmidt was also there. And we hung around until at least four in the morning, and Charlie had to go get a guide dog the next day. But he said, I don't care. I'm just going to hang around and, uh, you know, have a few drinks. I don't, I don't care. I'll get there tomorrow either way. Yeah. And that was, that was Charlie. He wanted to be with, as, as you said, um, his friend, Paul, his friends were very important to him. That was such a, it was, you know, hey, here he was, commissioner, commissioner, and you didn't get to see him as much because he had so many, uh, you know, claims on his time. But here, now he's just sitting around with the folks and having a good time with MJ, who had also come up at one point and helped us out a little bit in the early years uh, with a regional meeting we had. And, and uh, you know, and Terry and Frank and me and me and, uh, and uh, Rick and, you know, just, just a whole group of people. And he wasn't going to go in. You know, he, he got there. He didn't drink as fast as maybe Terry and I did. But, uh, you know. He, uh, <laughs> you know. Well, the other thing about Charlie is that he never, when you think about the evolution of all of this, Charlie started off as a, a kind of or conceived the, the people, even his counselor in the commission, because at that time some of the counselors were, to put it very mildly, very conservative. Uh, first of all, he had been uh, in New Hampshire where his relatives were, and he came down to Massachusetts and then established his uh, residency in Massachusetts. And at that point, um, he was really kind of opposed to some of the things that were going on. And, and he was sort of, uh, he spearheaded a consumer group that used to meet with the commissioner. So his first, his first introduction to the commission was not as a staff person at all. It was like on the other side. None of us would have believed that he would someday be the commissioner. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And he had led a student strike up at uh, Plymouth State College in New Hampshire. That was one of the things he was very proud of. And Charlie never had a college degree, but you wouldn't have known it because he went, he, he had gone to Boston University, went to Graham Junior College, went to Plymouth State, but he was so smart and so well read and so uh, on top of current events and had such a feel for everything that you would never know. It, it didn't matter that he didn't have a college degree. I mean, he got to be commissioner of the blind and everything else without it. Well, they, people used to assume he had one because he kind of said he went to BU and he went here and he went there. You know, it yeah. just kind of didn't, you know, kind of let it, uh, it whether right. he graduated and not, never he fixed it so it sort of didn't <laughs> come yeah, into the picture. The, what was, you don't uh, say uh, can't hurt you. Correct. You know? and, but he was just, he was very smart. Yeah. He had trouble learning uh, Braille was always a, a big bubble, bugaboo for him, he, it, it as was. it is for many adventitiously blind um, Yes, yeah, because he was a high partial when he was younger, wasn't he? He was a very yeah. high partial. He had uh, RP. Um, his brother had it, too, but he didn't have it as strong as Charlie. He was, his brother was never legally blind, but Charlie was, you know, uh, considered legally blind when he got to Massachusetts, and so he got hooked up with the commission. And then through his consumer work, uh, got to know a lot of the people at the commission at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then, as Chris said, he went from there to actually getting hired by them to do their client assistance program stuff. So, so what do you say we give Paul his show back? Why don't you let me finish? <laughs> you got more? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. No, I'm simply going to say that so even all through Charlie's um, beginning uh, time, he, he never forgot the fact that he was a consumer and uh, not anybody who, who was going to go with the status yeah. quo. He, Thank had, you. he headed the, age, uh, the agency as an advocate. 
and that was great. And 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 you. Oh. So I have two questions, and I'll get to you in a second, Miss Terry. I hear you there. Uh, <laughs> so I so I have two questions for for you guys. Right okay. from the be right from the beginning, um, you guys got involved in activism, and you did uh, quite a number of demonstrations in the seventies. Yes. Yep. Correct. Yep. We did. We had we had to demonstrate. I can tell this story. We had a demonstration uh, on the rainiest, coldest April first of there ever was in 1973 on the common that Kathy was discussing. But we only had about ten people because it was so horrible. We had plugged this thing, and it was the committee on well the way it was. Uh, it was about employment because Charlie was realizing we we all needed jobs and we weren't getting them and knew that the unemployment rate was like seventy percent for blind people and all this other stuff. So he started this thing about uh, he called it the Committee for Employment of the Handicapped Now. But he said, but you really have to stre stress the now. I said, okay then, Charlie, the Committee for Employment of the Handicapped Now. You yeah, know, and, and I kept doing. Started doing it. <laughs> started doing it all the time. We did that. We, we went up to the state house many times and testified at hearings. The the uh, legislators were very impressed with us. People like Barney Frank and people like that, who of course people heard about later, were were really on our side. Phyllis Mitchell got a real liaison uh, with him. Got got him involved in a lot of our issues. And, and Terry was there too. And Terry was there too. And Terry will tell her story. So what, Terry, what, what, Terry? tell us what you'd like to add about that period, Miss Terry. Oh my goodness, Frank's here with me. And, hey, uh, Frank. Um, there were some Sometimes. crazy times that went on that that Chris was talking about earlier, but there were a, there were a lot of good things. One of the things that always struck me about Charlie was he went beyond. He went beyond <laughs> even our own our own small group. Um, in that, you know, we had that that other music. Remember the music? The uh, what was it? The we had another music name committee. for that too. Yeah, the music, the music committee, committee uh, that went around to nursing homes at Christmas and. Christmas, yep, and Holy Night, and Molly, that <laughs> <Yeah>. Molly. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and that kind of thing. But Charlie was, but there, you know, there always was. There was a very serious side to Charlie, and a very fun side to Charlie. And oftentimes, he would manage to put the two together. He um, did whenever he, he gave a to, speech. Yeah, he would. He, yeah, he would that, go back and forth. You know, like like JFK. He was a lot like JFK in that way. You know, JFK could be talking about something serious, but he'd throw in something kind of fun and then get back to it, unless it was deathly serious. You know, but uh, Charlie had that had that gift. And back in back when you were talking about uh, DNFB, um, actually, what happened on that was that Charlie wanted to. At, that was the year that Ken Jernigan put out all the stuff about that you couldn't belong to two organizations, you couldn't serve two masters, all the rest of that stuff. And the Boston, the state chapter was willing to not go along with Jernigan on that, the state affiliate. Right. And we had all kinds of people who had said they were going to vote against it, they were going to shoot it down. And Jernigan sent John Nagel to the convention, their state convention. And Frank had made arrangements because Frank was on the board of the state uh, NFB at the time. He had made arrangements for Charlie to speak on the floor, and he ended up getting shouted down by John Nagel. And then one of the older ladies from the Boston chapter turned around and just said, Frank, shut up! <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely hysterical. Frank and Charlie but, but I said, think I, 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 I shut down on, at the convention, and that was the end of that. And MJ and Mary Ballard and Ann Derwood 
came up several, uh, several different times through the years. Another funny story, and I'm quite certain, Kathy, I'm quite certain you, one or both of you and Charlie were with us. One night we had, I think it might have been the night of that convention, that conference that we had at Graham, that we yeah. all ended up over at the Howard Johnson's Hotel where MJ and Mary Ballard were staying in Kenmore Square. And we, got, we just got silly after a few drinks. Hard to believe, I know. I know. And started, <laughs> and started singing, including me, and I'm, I have the worst voice in the world. We started singing Glory, Glory Federation. <laughs> and, and, and the next thing, the, the hotel security came up and threatened to throw us all out if we sang any more of us. <laughs> but that was Charlie. He was always very, very into the inclusiveness, and it went beyond just the blindness community. One of the, the, one of the serious stories that I will tell for a minute that happened, and I'm going to guess 75 or 76. Chris could probably tell you the exact date, but huh. I can't. Um, was Charlie and I both went out to a conference in uh, Worcester that was for the uh, development of the, uh, what was it, the Massachusetts Coalition on Citizens with Disabilities. That's oh, right. Yeah. And we went, and there were, there were some fun people there. And it was a very cross-disability group. And one young lady in particular was, had uh, severe multiple sclerosis. And she was a hot ticket. And we all ended up up in her room afterward. Um, I think it was probably after the bar closed, but I wouldn't swear by that. Uh, and at the end of the at the end of I'd the I'd be evening, ashamed of you if, the, if you didn't close the bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, we at didn't have much money, so we usually had to set up our own. But anyway, <laughs> that's true. My sister and I tended to be bartenders of, of a lot right. of those, but that's another thing. <laughs> but at the end of the evening, and this is what I was wanting to get to, was at the end of the evening, she um, she turned to Charlie and I were probably the last two being swept out the door. And she said, Terry, would you take, um, he had Patsy at the time. And she said, Terry, will you take Patsy and just wait out in the hall for a minute? And I was like, okay. And Charlie looked at me and I looked at him and I was like, I have no idea what this is about. He came out of that room absolutely with tears coming down his face. And he just, he came over and he put his arms, he put his head on my shoulder and just said, I need another drink. And the two of us went to one of our rooms or down to the bar. I don't know where we went. I don't remember. And we must have talked for two or three hours afterward. And I think that was the real epiphany of when he got involved, when he started thinking about other people beyond our community who needed help as well. What that was, was that she asked him, she was having a bad day, and she asked him to stay to put her into her bed because she couldn't transfer from her wheelchair. Ah, and it just... Why was I during all that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Either. I don't either. I guess <laughs> I went to bed. <laughs> I wasn't there. I wasn't there. Yeah, you that, might have. I think, that, it, might have. I, that think is. Would, I think BLC was probably broke enough that it only had enough money to send two of us to it or something. I have no well, that, idea. That I been. think that's right. That I been. think that's right, yeah. But the, the other I thing no that is like... Was, we had yeah. we each had separate rooms, and it's, I have no idea what the what the what the financial arrangement was on it. I don't remember, but I always remember I have always remembered that night with Charlie when he he was so moved by the fact that she could not transfer from her wheelchair to the bed. Yeah, and well, you know the thing so that Charlie always said. That out with him. 
Right. The thing that Charlie always said about this, because it's always come up, you know, we are much more than the other organization. We have always been uh, trying to work with the other disabilities to make things better for everybody. And Charlie always said that, you know, a rising tide, you know, as Kennedy, another Kennedy thing, a rising tide helps all the boats. And in other words, and if we're not at the table to do things like that, with where they put the curb cuts or where they, how they set things up when they do the architectural barriers, which are very important and they have to do, if we're not at the table, we're not going to get any, things will be counter to our abilities to get from point A to point B. So it's very important for us to do that. And he always recognized that. He, he didn't say at the expense of, you know, if it came down to either or, obviously we're going to support our needs uh, when, when, we, when, they, uh, when they totally conflict, but they don't most of the time. And most of the time, we can work together on these things, and that was very important to Charlie. And he gained the respect yeah, really of the was. other groups in Massachusetts because of that. He could talk to anybody from any of the other um, cross-disability, we called it in those days, groups. Everybody uh, liked him because he was so friendly and fun, but he was also, he had a mousetrap mind. He didn't read real quickly, as I said, so he memorized stuff, and he had this mousetrap memory. He, he could remember all kinds of stuff. He was amazing with that. He was, he was absolutely amazing at it. And he, one, of the he, ways, one of the ways that Charlie got better known um, when he became commissioner, uh, and, and actually the, 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 the time that I first heard of him, didn't have anything to do with his commissioning, but instead had to do with the work that he was doing way ahead of his time um, in terms of setting up a computer bulletin board, and in terms of, uh, and in terms of writing the the, the check writing program, um, yes. can 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 any of you talk a little about that? I spent a lot of time on that bulletin board, <laughs> way too much time <laughs> playing. I was, but it was some drag, some castle game. I don't know. I was Lady Castletone on there. I remember that. <laughs> and that actually, that was when. Uh, a lot of the blinded Vietnam veterans got involved with that. They had a bulletin board that he did a lot of work on helping them get that going as well. And it, it did have a lot of other informational type stuff and resources on it. Um, but one of the things that he really wanted to do with that bulletin board was to have a place for students and young people um, to get to get to be able to get together, whether they were mainstreamed and didn't know other blind kids that kind of thing. Um, and the bulletin board was, the MCB BBS was, people were calling in from all over the place to that. And it was it was a great, great time. And it was a great way for people to get to know one another. I know a couple of times we even did a couple of dinners, uh, dinner get-togethers, you know, where 30 or 40 of us would get together at a restaurant. Um, it, it and maybe- just to thank him for what he had done with that. It may be among the first. It's certainly among the first. It may even have been the first um, it, blindness dedicated been, uh, bulletin board. Um, yeah. And 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 it, it's it's interesting that that he could do that as commissioner because it's sort of it's sort of if you think about it, it goes against everything that that you expect a commission to for the blind to be doing. I mean, you really don't expect a commission for the blind to be operating bulletin board, really. 
Yeah. Well, that's when you're the true. boss, you, you say, uh, we're going to do it. Uh, people tend to do it. And that's the, that's the whole thing about getting, and we talk about this in, uh, with other groups and minorities and so forth, about getting into a leadership position is so important because then you can really shape what's going on. It's one thing to go to your supervisor or your boss and say, this would be a good idea, we need to do it, and six months later you're still arguing about it. If you are the boss, and it was, hey, it's not the biggest agency in the world, but it's an autonomous agency, so within limits, if he could keep it in his budget and the governor you know, wasn't something the governor was going to be embarrassed about, he could do it. Well, yeah. and everybody, um, like Charlie, we lived at that point on what's called the Green Line, and it used to go from Brookline into Boston where we all worked. And uh, sometimes Dukakis would be, the governor uh, would be on there, and Charlie would talk to him. Charlie would talk to anybody. And everybody always remembered him because he was always so accessible and so friendly and so right away you'd know he was funny but he was also smart he was so smart and so um he then very naturally um as i said from the attorney general's office uh when there was a vacancy at the commission that was at that point a government governor appointed job and he uh knew dukakis pretty well by that time and so that was one of the reasons that he was able to to uh, go from the AG's office and then go off as a commissioner. Yeah. And then at Excellent. one point he also worked for Charlie Baker, who's now the governor of Massachusetts. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah. When when Charlie was uh, when Charlie Baker was Secretary of Health and Human Services in Massachusetts. That's right. Yep. And uh, but and, and that's the thing. He always, even though he knew someone, and he may know them quite well. He, if they did something wrong, he was not. He was not one of those people that would just turn the other cheek. Um, I remember one time we used to meet on. Was it? I think it was. Wasn't it a monthly basis, Chris, uh, with the commissioner? Yeah. And yep. I noticed one day, being the only partially sighted person in the room, um, a oh, consumer in the room, that while the commissioner was saying, "Yes, I agree with you totally." She was turning to her assistant and his assistant and shaking her head no. And that threw Charlie into Oh, absolute he, when he found that out, he was so, oh. oh. We, we spent hours. Frank was secretary of, of the organization at the time. And I remember spending hours in, in Charlie's uh, rooming house in his bedroom there, um, rewriting and rewriting and rewriting a letter that Charlie was insistent was going out to was going out to everyone under the sun absolutely yep. <laughs> having really putting the commissioner on on notice on her that, that yeah, someone and, would and, do that kind of thing and and in fact Charlie Charlie talked about that to me later and and what he said to me uh, about that whole incident is, is is the thing that bothered him the most was that that folks were doing it purposefully behind the backs of blind people in an, yeah. in an agency that's supposed to be serving them. Correct. And, and that's what said, made him furious. Yeah. He exactly. said, I am just not going to put up with it. Frank, you've been really quiet in the background there. Do you have a, a 70s or 80s Charlie story? Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, uh, well, you know, I have to say that um, I, I think uh, I, I wasn't as heavily involved in some of these things as uh, uh, as some of you were. Um, 
He was working full time supporting me so that I, I could be the boss. Yeah, I, yeah I, right. I was, uh, I was working full time. Uh, but um, let me see. I, I guess. Um, he has more 90 stories, I think, huh. is the story. Well, you can tell 90 stories. Pardon? You can tell 90 stories. Yeah. Why don't you tell them about you two going to Harvard Square? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that... <laughs> yes. Uh, his, um, uh, see, his wife was having a surprise uh, 50th birthday party for him. Wasn't it his yes. 50th birthday? Yeah, yes. And... Uh, <laughs> She um, she asked me to, to to take him away for what a couple hours while people were gathering, I guess, and whatever for that final preparation. But so Charlie and I, I went to Harvard Square, and we went to, to a place where, where we used to buy uh, what records. Minute Man records. <laughs> yes, yes. And each of us, oh, oh, it was wild. But it was we had a great time. But we also we we spent oh. Hundreds of dollars. Yeah, two or three hundred dollars. And, <laughs> um, and, you know, felt it was kind of, because poor Charlie didn't know why we were doing this, really, you know. But somehow, I can, you know, I, I guess it wasn't a good influence. But anyway, <laughs> we, we, we had a great time. We got back to the, we got back to the, it was, it was very nice. And, and oh, Charlie, that was, that was a great party, too. Sue had yeah, set up yeah. a tent and, in the and, yard and, and everything. Actually, yeah. And actually, that ties back into that story that we were just talking about with the commission and doing things with that he wouldn't see. Sue managed yeah. to have a tent set up in their yeah. backyard the day before. And yes, she, yes. I, I think she offered to take the dogs out that night. They didn't want him to see to know that there was a, the a, yeah. a tent. Yeah. <laughs> We had something like 90 people at table. We did, and we sense. had barbecue from uh, this place, Red Bones. It was a wonderful yeah. barbecue place that she yeah. catered, and it was a great party. Great party. And I, and yeah, I was, I was in night, Canada by then. <laughs> yeah. Somehow, the, yeah. Somehow, the night before, I don't know how we, I don't know how we convinced Charlie that it was perfectly normal that Frank went up to. We were up at their house. They lived about two miles from us. And we went up to their house in Lexington, and Frank husked a bushel of corn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's Charlie, Frank, I, it was I, perfectly reasonable. For strange, reason, strangely enough, Charlie when Frank came to my house, he never husked a bushel of corn. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You, you, just didn't have, you just didn't have Sue's persuasive ability. That's right. That's why. <laughs> That's why. So let's, let's fast forward then. To the end of Charlie's <laughs> tenure. Okay, I the, think Kathy and I are going to get off because this moves him to this moves him to the D.C. area. So we it, can. It does. Oops. It does. But I want to ask you guys a question before you go, and it's the last okay. one. Okay. And sure. that question is, what did you guys think when when it became clear that Charlie was going to jump ship and move to D.C.? How how did how what was the what, what was kind of the feeling well, I in was, Massachusetts? I was sad. And I was sad, but I was happy. Because, and I was happy because I knew he was going back to ACB, and I knew that ACB could use him. He'd been so important to ACB in the early years, and not on a national level, but we all knew that if he had stuck with it, if he'd taken a job uh, in some pedestrian place like the IRS or National Borough Press, like Frank or me, that he would have been a national presence in ACB, uh, yes. you, you know, because, but, but now he could go and do what he, you know, he, he would be totally unfettered. I mean, he had to, 
and not not that he didn't to my knowledge he had no real issues with the nfb of massachusetts up here and did and worked with everybody very well but he could be unfettered and go back to his roots and all that but i knew we wouldn't see him as often i knew i'd miss him and i and uh, that 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 was sad but i was so happy that he was going to go down there and do that because i knew that that's really where he was destined to be was on a national level for acb well destined is the right word because before that way back I had wanted to move to D.C. way back, like in the early 70s, and try. I'm never going to leave Massachusetts. No, no, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to D.C. And so I was in Canada by the time he did go there, and I just kind of laughed at how things evolve. Well, I think someone else on this call had a lot to do with wooing him to D.C. We did, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Chris and Kathy, thank you so much. Okay, it was fun, and I hope uh, uh, everybody realizes what a what an important guy. Maybe not as you know, he, he wasn't one of the former presidents or something that we'd know about, like Otis and you, Paul. But he's somebody that was figured very prominently in ACB's history, not only in Massachusetts but across the country. And you guys will get to that in a minute. And he meant a, lo- a lot of people. He was newly blind. He came with a different, uh, you know, perspective than some of us that had gone to school together. But he also came. He was a good organizer and. The major thing was everybody, everybody liked Charlie. You may not have always disagreed with, agreed with him about politics, either, but everybody loved him. Kathy and Chris, okay. thank you so much for being on there. Miss Terry, you were pretty close to, to Charlie and Sue. Um, did, did he discuss the, 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 the thought of going to ACB with you guys? Yeah, we spent many, uh, more than a few nights on their sun, on their screen porch, and it was because uh, it was, you know, it was it was a difficult decision for them in a lot of ways because Sue had her own career going as well, so that yep. really involved it really involved both of them giving up what they were what they liked doing to yep. to co- to go to come down. Yep, excellent. It was was a tough choice. It was a tough decision. It it was. was always been, and Sue has always just been so devoted to him. um, Yes. You know, she was, she was willing to give up her career and not, not all women would do that in the, even in the late nineties. No, I think you're absolutely right. And it was a hard decision and we'll talk about why it was hard in just a minute. Um, Mr. Rick, do we have any Massachusetts hands? Yeah, Paul, you got John McCann here and Brian Charlson. Uh, Brian, uh, well, let's let's John McCann. I guess we can start with you, Mr. McCann. Yeah, he goes way back. Oh yeah. Well, see, I don't know how far back Charlie and Brian go, but being uh, presumably in the state, <clears throat> whenever. But yeah, I I just absolutely had to be here. You know, many times I've sort of credited Charlie Hodge for for bringing me into. Um, ACB, and he was certainly an influence, but I really have to say it was uh, Charles Crawford. Uh, I was in uh, Cambridge from 1977 to 1980. I'm sorry that Kathy and uh, Chris have left Kathy in particular, uh, because I had worked as a legal intern between my first and second years of law school uh, in the summer of 1978, and I would, I mean, Lorinda Steele's office was probably like five feet from mine, if it was that. So Lorinda and Kay Chase went out to um, 
where they, they went out to uh, Utah, to Salt Lake City for the 1978 uh, ACB convention. And as it happens, that was where uh, the old Dominion Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired, its original name, that's where that affiliate was chartered. Now, as I say, I was in law school and Lorenda came back and say, oh, you got to meet, you know, Charlie and, and Kathy. They're great folks. So, of course, I made it a point to do that. And I spent many, many uh, weekends uh, during my law school career uh, going over there for R&R. &R. Uh, uh, lots, lots, yeah, lots of great partying. Uh, Kathy's precious little double O or triple O Martin 18, uh, which she no longer has. I have, to rag, I have to rag her about that. Sweetest little guitar, you know, beautiful for folk music. Uh, and I'd love to remember what, what short wave Charlie um, had. He had a little short wave in his kitchen. If yep. memory serves, um, they were at 24 Cleveland Street. Um, and as they said, you just took the green line out to Newton, pretty much at the end. I think it was the end of the line, actually, in 24 Cleveland. That's that's where they were, that cute little basement apartment. Um, lots of incredible parties. And, you know, of course, we discussed blindness politics. And I was, I was very firm at that point that I wasn't going to do anything substantial until uh, law school was finished. I mean, I really needed to give that my, my first priority. Although by the third year, it had pretty much become a co-equal priority with playing out in a bluegrass band. And actually, that's another thing. I think that's where I met Rusty Burgoyne. We lost him too uh, on uh, January 10th of this year. But Rusty and I got together and, and we formed a bluegrass band. And I think we even played a Bay State Council convention. Must have been that we met at the 78 convention. I think we uh, did a gig at the, the 79 convention. But, um, and then I knew Charlie when we were uh, in the uh, state agency head community. Uh, mm -hmm. He had 14 years. I had three years and uh, a little about two years and nine months. So he had a much in longer Virgi than, in yeah. Virginia. Yes. 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 I, yes. I was from from basically July one of eighty six to April one of eighty nine for me. It was a bit of a rocky tenure, but of course I would see him at CSAVR slash NCSAB, National Council of State Agencies for the Blind. Saw him there. Um, Always maintained communication, always had a great respect for his uh, wit and his mind. As it's been mentioned, he had a mousetrap mind. I'd like to think that in some measure, I sometimes equaled him at that. But <laughs> I, think he, I think he had the edge on me there. But uh, he really awakened, I think, a consciousness in me about you know, the class interest. Of Blindness is no yep. respecter of socioeconomic circumstances, but we do have... Uh, certain commonalities that rise to the level of culture and that warrant, at least in my opinion, more of an, more of a class identity than a lot of blind people realize. And I'm, well, and that was certainly Charlie's view as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it became yep. a very firm view of, of mine. I echoed him. Yeah. In that or was yep. totally in sync with him on that point. Yep. Mr. McCann, thank you so much, sir. Sure. Sure. Excellent. Mr. Charlson. Yes, indeed. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. So uh, we get we get to the next phase in Charlie's career, the wooing of ACB, um, and you and I were very much involved in that because I was president of ACB and you were first vice president. So, yeah. so what are what are your memories of that process? Well, I'm I'm going to bridge the '80s into the '90s kind of thing, if you don't mind. Please, because my my first introduction to Charlie was when Kim and I moved here to Massachusetts and 
Shortly after we moved here, we got involved with a group called CCLVI, or the, what was it, 1255 Club? Anyway, that uh, took place in the basement of Mike Caterizulo's home. Low vision group, and here we are, people in Watertown with no vision. But it was the closest ACB chapter we could go to. And eventually that morphed into Charles River chapter and got involved with uh, um, lots, of, lots of the originals like Kathy and Chris and others. But uh, there was a point where we were having a real problem getting our library for the blind properly funded. It at that time was under the auspices of the commission. And whenever the commission was asked to cut its budget back, the library got cut back because you really had to decide, are you gonna use this money to support the needs of you know, blind teenagers and people looking for work? Or are you gonna use those funds to pay for somebody to get books, recreational books? So we decided, uh, Bay State Council, we were going to try to rock the boat a bit and move it over to the Board of Library Commissioners where we'd only have to compete, if you will, with other libraries for priority funding and not for other blindness services for that service. And uh, Charlie was not keen on that because he was worried that the, his small agency, even though the money was just a pass-through situation, that uh, the agency would look so small that it could easily be consumed by a general agency scenario. So he wasn't in favor of it. Bay State was officially in favor of it, and that year, uh, the governor funded, and this was Governor Dukakis, funded the, funded the library $1 of state funds. Oh, dear. So we were having some serious problems with the library in general. So we were on, up on our uh, Beacon Hill uh, doing our legislative walk around to try to convince people to passed the, the uh, amendment to move the funding from one agency to another. And while sitting in the Speaker of the House's office on this subject, uh, somebody called. And it was the, in Massachusetts, you're not allowed as a state agency to have a lobbyist, but you can have a government relations officer, mm -hmm. which is just a fancy way of saying lobbyist. Mm -hmm. And the lobbyist was calling the Speaker to tell him don't listen to those blind people wandering around the state house. Uh, they really don't know what they're talking about. And I met with Charlie the next day and told him, I said, I thought you were going to take a hands off on this. And he said, I did. And I said, well, your person representing the agency didn't. And uh, he said, oh, no, no, I'm sure he didn't do that. He says, I was in the room and the speaker was restating everything your guy said so that we could hear it. And it was then. And Charlie got so mad, he almost jumped at me. In fact, his lawyer who was there pulled him back and slammed it back into his chair. In spite of that rather rocky beginning, when Charlie did decide to go to Washington, D.C., um, he called me into his office. I had been chair of the Rehabilitation Advisory Council for... Uh, a number of years. And uh, he called me in and said, do you mind if I recommend you as the next commissioner? 
and I was bowled over by the opportunity and that kind of thing. As it turned out, I didn't get the job. Um, David Gavastis, the deputy commissioner, got the job. Um, I went for my interview the day after my father died, and I really wasn't doing my best. But Charlie was a friend then. Uh, again, we could disagree. We could agree to disagree and not be disagreeable in doing it. Yeah. And there's a lot to be said for that. He was very good at that. He, he was very good at that. I mean, he and I, he and I occasionally disagreed when he worked there. And, um, and, and so, yeah, I'm perfectly clear. So let me talk for just a couple of minutes about, uh, about the, the beginnings of my relationship with Charlie and, and, and his coming to ACB. Um, we had in ACB just adopted our, our first uh, kind of five-year plan, as it were, uh, not, not to not to equate that with Moscow or China, um, but but we had just adopted it, and and um, Leroy Saunders had been the president of ACB when that plan was adopted in his last year, and he said he essentially said to me, "Well, Mr. Paul." Um, We've adopted this plan, but luckily you get to implement it. I don't have to. And so one of the things that that plan called for was, uh, was a more powerful executive director and actually calling our, our person an executive director. Before that, the person who was the, the chief employee of ACB was called the national representative. And it was very clear that he was the representative of the board and not an executive director, not a person who could make a lot of decisions. And for a variety of reasons, uh, Oral Miller ended his tenure as the executive director of ACB and we set up a committee. Um, in the meantime, I'd heard a little about this Charlie Crawford guy and I went to an NCSAB meeting and uh, got an opportunity to spend some time with Charlie and and uh talk to brian and i think brian that 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 you and i both agreed that that if we could persuade charlie to come it would be a huge step in the right direction for acb um but it it was a difficult decision for charlie to make because he took a substantial pay cut to come and work for us probably 20 or thirty thousand dollars a year um it 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 was not it was not a minor thing um, and so it, it took a fair amount of commitment. So we, we put together the steering committee and that became a very political exercise. Um, there were loads of people who felt like, um, who felt like the wrong person got hired and that there were more qualified people and, and that Charlie's lack of involvement with ACB as commissioner ought to tell against him and on and on and on and on and on. Um, Early on, after Charlie and I had met for the first time, uh, Sue and Charlie later told me he went back to Massachusetts and said to Sue, well, Sue, I met this guy who's president of ACP, and um, he, he, uh, uh, he's a pretty impressive guy, and we think along the same lines, but there are, there are three things that I was particularly impressed by him over. Uh, one, he likes country music. Uh, second, he loves cheeseburgers. Uh, 
And third, he drinks beer. <laughs> and Sue says that those were some of the factors um, that persuaded Charlie to make this, this decision um, to come to ACB. Brian, do you remember anything else about that time that you want to share? Oh, j just that, um, again, we knew that we were do going to here in Massachusetts experience two things. One is we were going to get an excellent executive director of ACB, and two, we were, had no idea who we were going to get as a commissioner. So it truly was one of those things where Massachusetts had to sacrifice for ACB to benefit from the move. Now, some, some friends of his moved down those parts as well, right? Terry and Frank, yeah. Yeah. for example. So we lost some more folks to that. Uh, but again, Charlie remembered his roots. Uh, if you absolutely... Uh, was devoted to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Also, I, I, I was at that same barbecue birthday party, and uh, he could wear barbecue sauce as good as I can. <laughs> That's an important thing, too. You know, I'm not sure I would say Red Bones was the best barbecue I ate, but it's the best barbecue I ate in Massachusetts. So, yeah, he, he was multi multifaceted. The other thing that happened is because he was living in Maryland, and uh, those of you who've been to national conventions know we, we sit in our delegations according to our state names. So the Bay State Council of Blind being from Massachusetts always sits immediately behind the Maryland affiliate. So, and, and he would sit with his affiliate. So we were very aware of uh, all the people that came by to say hello, um, and he had, uh, just an incredible national following of individuals who respected him and what he has done for for the council and who quite honestly were a bit um, what glory slapped whatever you want to call it that he would spend time with them even though they were a in their own terms a nobody yeah nobody if you will to Charlie is a nobody there's no such critter yeah, and, and that that I saw happen time and time again, sitting in my delegation and looking over his shoulder. So, when when Charlie took over the national office, we we all of us, all three of us, kind of in in executive session, were bound and determined that ACB was going to go in a different direction. It was going to be an organization that was that that was going to be. Uh, very different from what it had been in the past. So I started writing president's, president's messages. Uh, Brian was taking responsibility for putting strong committees together um, and for doing all kinds of other things. I'm not trying to suggest that was all you were doing, Brian. Um, and Charlie did something that a national representative had never done. He started doing notes from the national office and he started creating uh, what a, what amounted to a place for himself uh, as executive director that ACB had never had before, um, and and that was not as easy a thing, I think, as, as people might have thought it had. And I guess perhaps, in retrospect, maybe uh, we should have realized um, that there were going to be people in ACB who weren't ready for that transfer of power. Now, later they were, but I'm not sure they were then. What do you think, Brian? Do you think they were? 
ah, it's this, it's the pain of my existence being two days ahead of the wave. Yeah. <laughs> so getting buried by the wave rather than raised by the wave, so to speak. Yeah. You know, I'm yep. the guy who sells his house before the market goes up. And yep. that, so I felt this, the same way here. We were a little ahead of our time yes. in making that transition. But it also gave us the opportunity to set the stage for such a thing. Yes. Uh, it, it definitely created a bit more of a divide, if you will, yes. between the elected uh, officers of ACB and the office of ACB, yeah. uh, which later showed itself in, in Charlie leaving and Penny Reader leaving, et cetera, et cetera. So when all of that was going on, uh, we ended up, uh, you could tell who was a Charlie believer and who was a political how do I put it? Who was a political grandstander? Yeah. I can be, I can be blunt now because I'm a nobody. Yeah. Except in Charlie's eyes, so to speak. Yeah. So nonetheless, nonetheless, we were there and I got to stand behind Charlie in more than one way, not only at the microphone, uh, at the conventions, but throughout his years as being our executive director. Yeah, and I think, I, I, I guess there are probably two or three, two or three other things I'll say about that, and and then we will then we will move on to the next phase. Um, but the, the 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 two or three things that I want to say is is that one of the things that was exciting about my tenure as president and Brian's tenure as first vice president, and I think Charlie's tenure as executive director was that. We were all on the same page. We all had this vision of a very different ACB than the one that existed before. I, I, I will probably make loads of enemies by saying that ACB was kind of parochial um, in the past. We weren't, we weren't very well known. We, 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 had sort of, we had sort of given up trying to compete with the Federation. We were, we were doing our thing, and it was good. We had lots of allies, and that was good. But Charlie and Brian and I thought, you know, if we take positions on issue after issue, if we lobby effectively, if we go out there and say to people, um, we, we want to support change, people will listen. And that's what we did. Uh, and that was the time when ACB Radio got started. Uh, that, that was the time when when Charlie's computer expertise uh, was able to make some serious changes in the national office. That was the time when, um, when all of our efforts to kind of redefine ACB kind of came together. Um, and, and, and I was very proud of, of what we accomplished, Brian and Charlie and I, um, working together. Um, and I think... Um, and, and this is the last thing I'll ask you, Brian, maybe. But I think, I think that, that all three of us were naive enough that we really didn't see what was coming up behind us, which is something that, that had never happened before in ACB 
in that uh, the opposition essentially created a political machine and that political machine um, kind of made promises and made deals behind closed doors and and created alliances and, and did a number of things that weren't characteristic of the democracy of ACB. Um, but I, I don't think, and, 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 and maybe you did and, and, and just didn't talk to me about it, Brian, but I didn't see it coming. I was just naive. I, I, I just missed it. Well, like I said earlier, I, I tend to be the guy buried under the wave coming from, from behind me, so to speak. But I think that um, naive might, we might have been, but we did what we thought was right. Not yes. necessarily always what was expedient, readily, uh, readily, yeah. readily achieved either. Right. We tried right. to take the long view on change, starting yes. now, but the long view on change. And it turned out the long view wasn't long enough. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing is, you know, we were given a chance, or at least I know I was, <clears throat> we were given a chance uh, if we were prepared to do A, B, C, and D, um, some of the dogs would be would be withdrawn, um, and and I I I know I said uh, no way, uh, and and in fact I didn't say it nearly that politely, um, and and so uh, you know our 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 principles certainly got us in trouble, um, yeah. Miss Penny, <laughs> would you would hey. you like to would you like to talk a little bit about that period? I would. It was so much fun. We were on a mission, and we all agreed where we needed to go. We all agreed that in consumer choice, with respect to re um, rehabilitation, I, I, bet I, I could almost quote those principles that Charlie taught to me and I still believe in. Uh, we were all on a mission for audio description on TV and we all believed in pedestrian safety and audible accessible pedestrian signals. And we were on a mission and it was so much fun when we were, when we were on a roll and things were happening. It was definitely fun. And we really and felt like we were making the world a better place for blind people. And, and we were, we and we were because building it. We, we were, were building we it. Were. It's not, it's not like, it's not like we were waiting for other people to do it. We were building that stuff from the ground up and that was what Absolutely. made it so much fun. Absolutely. And, 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 and you know, the, thir the right 13, yeah, the 13 principles were great and, and we hadn't talked about them, Brian and I, um, and, uh, but they, they were great and they, they, they were important. <laughs> in doing what I talked about earlier that, that all of us were bound and determined to do. We wanted to reshape ACB so that it became a different organization than it was, but also so that, um, so that our members could understand who we really were and who we expected that they could be and would be. And that's exactly and, what we tried to do. Yeah. Um, um, I met Charlie on, on the old ACBL list, you know, it was, email was pretty new back then, and, uh, and I didn't know anybody in ACB, I, uh, I'm one of those blind people who kind of avoided blind people for 20 years after I lost my vision, um, 
And it was that list that brought me in. And then when I went for the job interview, then I met a bunch of people from ACB at a Joe Taylor conference, which was held here in D.C. I met Mike Byington and Debbie Grubb. And I, I don't remember if you were there, Paul. And I don't think I knew Charlie, but uh, then I decided to apply for the job. And I went to California for the job interview. And Charlie was just like, he just, he just got me going we loved him. I loved everything he had to say. Um, I knew we could make, we could save the world, you know? Because yep. um, I'm an old hippie and I still believe in that stuff. Um, and I remember at the job interview, uh, one of the people on the, then the Board of Publications who was doing the interview said, well, you know, you're such a busy person. I just don't have any, I don't think you can do this job because you have so much going on in your house. And Charlie said, this is a woman with six children. She can do anything. And that was so sweet. <laughs> and, so nice. um, and I just, uh, it was really great until it fell apart when it wasn't great. But most of it, it was really great. You know, we started, we, uh, we supported Jonathan with ACB Radio. Kim yep. was uh, the chair of the BOP and the Board of Publications started really doing things to make the publications of ACB sparkle. Um, uh, conventions changed and got more democratic and, and attracted more people. Um, it was a good time. It was a really good time. Until it wasn't. <laughs> Until it wasn't, yeah. <laughs> And we, we probably won't spend a lot of time on, on that, but I do want to talk about just just one thing. And that was the bravery that Charlie demonstrated. Um, there, there, there had been a resolution that, it, that in effect tried to deny staff who work for ACB the right to vote as members of ACB. Um, uh, it was, uh, I guess, an amendment to the Constitution, not a resolution. And... Uh, Charlie knew, uh, because we talked about it, um, that if he got up and spoke to that amendment, um, he would be violating the terms of his role as executive director. He was perfectly aware of what he was doing, Absolutely. but he got up and did it anyway. Um, and probably it's it's one of the things that eventually led to the development of the secret ballot in ACB for individual votes because at the time and Penny I, I suspect you would agree with this at the time there were people looking at how staff were voting and they were being reported definitely people looking at how staff vote and and telling other people kind of in the opposition wing of the of the ACB that this, these staff are disloyal and they're not supporting our opinions and uh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It was happening. And, and it was a very brave thing for Charlie to do. Yeah. I, I and, will never forget. He got up and he said, I'll never forget him. He said, Jerob McDaniel would not stand for this and neither will I. And that yep. was just incredibly brave. Yep. And, and he, paid, he paid a price. Um, he paid a huge price for that because it, that was the beginning of the end for Charlie, um, at the at at the next board meeting, I actually made the motion to censure him because I had no choice. Um, he had he had at least in theory violated uh, his role as executive director, and there was no point in running away from that. But then things got out of hand with the new president, and it got to be a mess. And, um, and we couldn't write about it. We couldn't. Um, no. 
you know, we, that, that, that's when I left, when we, we couldn't make things public. Because everybody right. didn't disagree with what, what the stand Charlie had taken. I, I know Pennsylvania had passed a resolution in favor of Charlie. And, uh, right. and right. Um, we put that in the Braille Forum, and that was the end of me. Um, yep. but, um, <laughs> but, you know, you got to stand up for your principles. Uh, and, and that's one of the things do. Charlie taught all of us. You do. Thirteen of them. And can I jump yeah. in on this one as well? Yeah, um, for, because sure. Uh, Terry actually worked in the national office as well, you guys. So, so she she was a part of uh, of of that exercise. She was the affiliate services person, the first of our affiliate services person, and she had uh, lots of roles to play because um, nobody in in the national office, and it's probably true now too. Nobody in the national office did just one job. So. <laughs> Everybody was doing all kinds of jobs at the same time, and that was the way it worked. So, Terry, go. Yeah, uh, and that was I was so pleased when you and Charlie offered me the job uh, when that position came open again um, at that time. And Charlie knew my background because I had spent most of my adult life as a meeting planner. I have I was a certified meeting planner. I had been running. I would think nothing of running a dinner for 125 people on a Saturday night, um, that kind of thing. I had run the BLC, uh, the Blind Leadership Club, and the Bay State Council conventions right up until the Charlesons uh, took over all of that. Uh, I remember our first Bay State Council convention, we had 112 people at the banquet, um, that kind of thing. That I, I had always been a meeting planner, so it, it was made sense because at that time, that position involved setting up all the, all the logistics for the convention and for legislative seminar and the, um, uh, what was the other one, the, the mid-year meeting and yep. that kind of thing. In addition to, in addition to, I think I was liaison to something like, with some ridiculous number, like 17 committees or something. Oh, um, you were traveling every weekend, remember? <laughs> I did a lot weekend. of traveling in those days. That's true. Um, and we did, we did a lot of good work on, uh, in, in that, in that time period. And what actually for many years, I felt so guilty about what happened because, and I'll tell you exactly what happened, was the night before I was leaving to go down to the Kentucky, to the Louisville convention in 2000, it was my first national convention as affiliate services coordinator. Um, a member of the board of directors sat down, called me into our conference room because he was frequently in our office and uh, was part of the political machine, found out afterward. And he was the one who said to me, you should know that you should know two things. And at that meeting, he said one of them. He said, you should know that we will pay every bit of attention to who you vote for and it will be reported back to me. And it will be reported back to everyone, to anyone else that I want to let it know. And that's why we originally started doing a secret ballot at in the in the Maryland affiliate. In the Maryland delegation, yeah. In the Maryland delegation. I'm sorry, you're right. The Maryland delegation, because three of us in the national office worked, lived in Maryland, and that's what that's what really started the whole issue. The other thing that the same board member said to me was, "I'm sorry that you moved all the way down here and gave up your your." home and everything else for this because my goal in life is to see to it that anyone that Charlie Crawford ever hired is going to be fired. 
And that's yeah. what, those are, those are the things that actually took place. That yeah. started, and I remember feeling so guilty the day in, in Pittsburgh when he got up, I knew that that was the wrong, that that was quote unquote, the wrong thing for him to do. It was the wrong thing for him to do as executive director. It was not, it's something that he wouldn't do, but he stood up for all of us that day. Yep. He did, he did. Yep. But you know what? There are good people in ACB who supported us too. There were, there were um, a lot. And that's why yeah. we stayed. That's, we didn't. Yeah, yeah it's, it was. I, I, I stayed on after that because I didn't have a, I personally didn't have a choice. I stayed on for what, three years after, almost three years after that. And I, and I was miserable every day. I'd go yeah. downstairs and have a cigarette. And finally, one day, I just could not handle it any longer. And I remember calling Frank and just saying, I can't do this any longer. It is so insane around here. The things that were being done, audio description was being sent back. Yeah. Over, the, could, over things that it was just so crazy. We, we can, we can, we can so talk sad. about that at another meeting. But Yes, but. absolutely. But it was, my point was, my point was that Charlie stood up for whatever was right. Yeah. And you know, said. we agree with him, but he did. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. So, Rick, let's see if there are any hands raised, but I want folks to talk about if anybody has anything that they want to add about Charlie's time as executive director of, of ACB. That's what we're looking for now. Pat Sheehan, please. Well, this, this is Pat Sheehan. It's, uh, it's good to talk with everybody and hear all these stories. Charlie was such a good friend. Um, so many little Charlie stories to tell. Um, I remember when he, well, first of all, I want to thank Massachusetts for uh, sending uh, Charlie and Sue and Terry and Frank down. Thank you very much. Um, we probably owe you a lot for that. Yeah, we appreciate it. <laughs> yes. I will say that. Uh, even though, uh, you know, they came down from Massachusetts, they stayed uh, Red Sox fans. Uh, they rooted for the Patriots. So, uh, you know, they were very loyal to Massachusetts as far as that was concerned. And that's good. Uh, I remember getting a call from this gentleman <clears throat> right before he moved from Massachusetts down to Silver Spring, Maryland. And he said, hi, my name is Charlie Crawford. And I'm hoping you have big meetings down in Silver Spring because I like large chapter meetings and I'm coming down there and I'm expecting good chapter meetings. Uh, <laughs> right before that, we had, uh, I had just voted or helped the vote along. I was the president at the time uh, that we were going to go to quarterly meetings or think about disbanding. And so that couldn't necessarily do with the new executive director moving down to um, Silver Spring, Maryland. So, of course, Charlie, I'd write to him. I said, of course, Charlie, we have a great chapter. You know, you're welcome and all that. And we scurried to put the chapter back together again. And uh, we had, you know, we've, we've been going strong ever since. I think that was the one and only time I lied to Charlie. Well, maybe there were others, but I don't think he got on. A couple of things that I will say. Um, well, first, first, I'd like to say, Paul, I mean, I'm not a big person in ACB, so I can speak as a little person in ACB. But I would say that the gift that, that you brought and Brian and Charlie and the office brought 
was that you guys were able to uh, articulate a vision, uh, enable people to believe in that vision and get that and put that vision into practice. And everybody had a, had a role in that and Charlie's role was critical. Uh, you know, we believed in the ability to go run out there and get APSs in nationwide and we believed in getting transportation better uh, whatever you guys did, we go, yeah, let's go out and do it, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, whether it was APSs or whether it was audio description, whether it was uh, truncated domes on the, on the uh, subway systems, whatever it was, you know, the, the, you guys made us believe that we could get it done. And that is a very huge gift. And I think that's something that, you know, is very, very special and we need to treasure and, and certainly Charlie could motivate a lot of people that way. And all of you could, you did a great job, uh, the entire staff uh, and the leadership. Thank you so much, other, Mr. Patrick. I think the other part of Charlie's gift was uh, the fact, and this was also mentioned, I've talked to so many people in transportation where we work alongside each other in Washington, DC, people that just came to our conventions that didn't really, it didn't uh, did, didn't know Charlie, but Charlie would sit down with them in a meeting, talk to them, and make them feel like they belonged. And that is one of his great gifts: is that he validated people and made everyone he met feel special. And yes, I I would absolutely agree. Thank you, Mr. Pat. We're going to probably call on you later on if 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 we have time. All right, uh, I'll I'll give folks a last chance to talk about. Charlie is executive director if there's somebody who wants to do that. But I want to stick to that because we still have another whole phase of Charlie's life to talk about. And it's an important one. Melanie Brunson, please. Melanie. Hello. Um, I, I, want to, I want to thank Pat for what he just said because um, Charlie, I think the thing that um, I remember the most of what, about Charlie was um, – how enthusiastic he was whenever an issue arose that involved trying to make the world a better place for people with disabilities. And, you know, um, one of the things that happened during Charlie's tenure was the filing of the lawsuit against the, uh, the Department of Treasury over the inaccessibility of currency. And, I remember very well, um, I met first with the attorney that was interested in doing that. And when um, I told Charlie about that meeting, he got so excited and uh, he could hardly stand the idea of having to wait for the advocacy committee <laughs> and the board to, uh, to approve it. He thought that was such a great idea. And um, I think it was as much taking on the treasury as it was having accessible currency. But um, I was someone who came to ACB with a real love of um, politics and the political process. And Charlie and I had um, a lot of really good, fun discussions about um, about politics and about um, the political process and about the people that we knew along the way and what it was like to uh, to deal with them. And we used to always 
debrief after meetings. But I want to um, I want to talk about something that hasn't been talked about too much too, um, and and that is, although it's certainly been alluded to, but I think sometimes people in Washington get so involved in the political processes that they forget about being just kind to the people that they work with and the people that they meet along the way. And the thing that I've been thinking about since Charlie passed away was how kind a person he was as much as anything else. And two things that I uh, remembered very well about that happened during the first few months that Charlie was with us. One of them was, in fact, before he even came, I was sitting at my desk one day and Charlie called me. Oral hadn't told me too long before that he was coming. And um, so Charlie called me just to say hello because he said he wanted to introduce himself because he was the newly hired executive director and he wanted to be sure that I knew who he was and he wanted to get a little better acquainted with me because he didn't know me yet. And I thought that was very nice um, of somebody who was going to be your boss to take the time to, uh, to meet you before they even got there. And then... Um, the other incident was that um, the first winter we were there, I came to ACB from California and Southern California to be specific. <laughs> so I was not real familiar with winter weather and especially having to travel in it. I'd been in snow in recreational situations, but not in situations that involved commuting so in um that winter um our first snowstorm came during the work day and by the time we all left for the day there was a fair amount of snow on the ground so i didn't quite know what to expect at all and uh i wasn't prepared for it because it's a, it was a surprise storm so a little while before it was time to leave, Charlie came into my office and he said, when you get ready to leave, you come down and let me know and I'll walk to the metro with you so that I can make sure you get there okay and don't have any trouble in the snow. And I just thought, wow, that was really nice. He didn't say, I'm going to ask somebody else to go with you or anything like that. He just said, I want to make sure you and your guide can navigate okay. So... I'll help you get there. And, uh, I just, that that struck me as an incredibly kind thing for him to do. And we got there fine. There were no problems. And uh, Miss Melanie, thank you so much. Thank you for calling in and, and for sharing with us. Well, thank you for doing this. I, I really appreciate it. Because Charlie was somebody that always has meant a lot to me. And uh, I learned a ton from him. I think he's meant a lot to all of us. Um, do do we have one more hand for this period, sir? Yes, Philip Strong, please. Philip from yeah. Canada. How how are you, sir? I'm very good, sir. And I Thank wouldn't you. miss I wouldn't miss this call for for love nor money. Nor uh, Charlie. Well, <laughs> well, that's right. 
So, so tell us a little about your experience in the national yes, office because you were there too. Yeah, I, I ended up in the national office. I had finished up my, um, finished my degree in, at at university and was trying to figure out what to do next. And the Canadian National Institute of the Blind (CNIB) and the federal government were offering international internships. So they got in contact with me and they asked me if I'd like to go to Uganda to teach. And I was sort of, you know, it was teaching technology and I was like, well, really technology is not what I want to be teaching. <laughs> it's just not my forte. So, that, you know, good enough, that went away. They called me back the next day and said, how about would you be interested in a position with the American Council of the Blind in Washington, D.C.? And I sort of went, well, sure, uh, knew nothing about them. So you start looking up stuff about them. And anyways, Charlie called me up, I think, the next day to do an interview. And it was like talking to an old friend. Yeah, yep. the interview, it was just so smooth, so laid back. I mean, I wish all interviews were like that. Wouldn't it be nice? And, yeah, and he he invited me. He in, you know, he hired me on for six months, and he hired me on after that. And that time I spent with the with the national office is I think it's the best job I ever had during yep. that time with Charlie. And you know, there was so much I saw and did and got to learn from Charlie. And you know, he took me into his home. I lived with him and Sue for 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 the time I was down there for the internship for a partial portion of it. And you know, it was just, it was just like I was, you know, a family member. And, we, you know, traveling back and forth and everything was just, you're my friend. And, I mean, it became a very good friendship. Yeah. And I've been down there fairly regularly since for trips uh, to stay and stay with Charlie and Sue to see them, see Terry and Frank and Penny and Carl and whoever else I may be able to track down. But it was, uh. you know... It became a close, a very close friendship, and he will always be, I think, my best friend. Or yeah. very, you know, he was just—I'd love to live up to be half of what he was. I—I I think a lot of us would. Philip, mm -hmm. thank you so much, sir. No, you're quite welcome. We appreciate it. I wanted Patrick to be here, so if he can be put on here at the same time, I'd appreciate it. As president of the Bay State Council of the Blind, at our most recent board meeting, the board passed a motion to pay $500 toward Charlie being placed on the ACB Angel Law. And we would like to challenge his second affiliate, the Maryland affiliate, to match our offer. We will do that, Brian. Not a problem. We've already, we've already voted. Very good. Terrific. Um, Rick, this is Penny. Can I add to that discussion? Go ahead. Hi. Uh, so, um, Brian and Pat, that's really terrific. In fact, I was at the NCAC meeting where we voted to do that. NCAC stands for National Capital Area Chapter. But GDY has beaten me to it. Charlie was uh, the chair of our advocacy committee for six years. Uh, he, he and I actually ran against each other for the presidency of GDY. I won, he lost, and we remained best friends forever. Um, 
and he has been such a great advocate for guide dogs, uh, including while he was executive director when he and I got in a little bit of trouble for how much we were advocating for guide dogs. Um, oh, that's okay. another story. We didn't so, uh, even talk about uh, that. Is, is, has already uh, talked to Tony Stevens and donated a bunch of money to make Charlie an angel, but we are happy to welcome your contributions as well. Uh, the Thank the you, thing that too. happened with guide dogs, if you want to talk about it briefly, was there was a wonderful girl from Iowa. Her name was Stephanie Dahlman. She had lost her vision late in life. She was a nurse, um, and um, then she couldn't be a nurse anymore because she couldn't see. And so she got a guide dog, and it was a wonderful thing. And she went to the rehab commission to get some training in computers, and they told her that she could not bring her guide dog with her. And the dog was new, and um, I don't know how to make this phone stop. I'm so sorry. Uh, the dog was new. And she didn't want to leave the dog um, somewhere without her. And she was afraid the dog would lose all her training. And she called ACB. And Charlie and I ended up talking to her. And we uh, felt, and then we contacted Debbie Grubb, who was then felt that this was wrong. And uh, without consulting anybody else in ACB, we said, this is wrong. And ACB will definitely support you. And then it turned out that our Iowa, Iowa affiliate, which is where Stephanie lived, um, had a bunch of people who uh, decided not to support Stephanie's case. And it was very, very controversial at the time. Well, it, was, uh, it was really interesting. And it, and it goes back to what Brian and I were talking about earlier. Um, Brian, and uh, it, it, it is the difference between the, the new ACB and the old ACB. The old ACB would have assumed that um, if, if Iowa didn't want it, ACB wouldn't do it. Right. And, and, the new, and the new ACB wasn't quite prepared to take that. Now, um, we believed in these principles of consumer choice and democracy, and um, we support people who need help. <laughs> yes. Yep. So was interesting. Thank you, you guys. We're going to move on. Charlie eventually left ACB, and he went to work uh, for the Veterans Administration in a pretty high-level position. And it's probably a good thing in one respect that he did that, uh, because he ended up um, falling down in the middle of a Veterans Administration bathroom and it happened that there were a number of doctors who were there. And Charlie was having a brain aneurysm and virtually immediately went into the hospital, was in a coma for weeks. No one quite knew whether he'd recover, whether he'd get better. In the meantime, in 2005, I had a personal reason to be thankful for Charlie. Uh, my partner, Gail Krause suddenly died of leukemia and Brian came down and uh, Terry and Frank came down and so did Charlie and Sue Crawford. And when, when you have friends like that who can support you, it's pretty amazing. But Charlie, after his aneurysm, really took a long time to recover. And it, it took an immense amount of determination on his part um, to uh, become 
active again. And it took a while because he really had to almost rewire his brain all on his own. He had to relearn to use a computer where before he'd been a computer genius. Now it was much harder for him to do the things that he used to do just as a matter of course. It didn't slow him down, didn't stop him, didn't lessen his involvement. What it did was to just make him more determined. But more importantly, once he'd gotten past the illness and once he'd, he'd gotten back into the saddle again, he started a whole new career in advocacy with his state affiliate. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that phase and see if anyone, uh, aside from Patrick and Penny, um, would like to add anything about his, his Maryland years and his advocacy in, in a, a variety of things, and guide dog users as well. <coughs> Excuse me, guide dog users was having all kinds of trouble um, for a while. And, and Charlie found himself in the center of that trouble. And, and really, um, guide dog user had asked me to, to take a, a shot at mediating. And I, didn't, I don't think I did much of a job, uh, but Charlie did. Um, he was able, he was able to, to, to step in, not to the center, but to a place where he could. Um, and, and was able to help put uh, GDUI back together uh, into a strong organization. And when, when Penny and Charlie were running as, as candidates for president of GDUI, GDUI was lucky because either person who won uh, <laughs> would have been a win for GDUI. All right, who have we got? Phone number 7673, please. Hi, um, this is Doris Ray. I live in Virginia. Uh, hey, in Doris. Metro area. Hi. Who's that? This is Penny. This, this is Penny. Hey. Um, so uh, I wanted to mention, I hope this is the proper time, um, that I, I knew of Charlie, of course, but I, I met him first uh, when serving on the, well, and I still serve on the Access for All Committee of the Transportation Planning Board of the Metropolitan Washington Council of Governments, a mouthful, but... It is. Um, yeah. And, um, and, um, and that's where I got to first know him, and um, he was just amazing, outstanding. He knew everything about Section 504 and the ADA, and he um, ad advanced the rights of blind people and people with low vision and, and, um, and all people with disabilities in the region. And, um, and I continued to serve um, with him on that committee, and then eventually we were working on um, uh, getting better service from Metro Access, our ADA paratransit mm -hmm. in the region. And um, Charlie, who was a user of Metro Access, was um, one of the best and strongest voices, and so we put some pressure 
on um, the Metropolitan Washington Transit Authority, WMATA, from where we sat over at, 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 at the Council of Governments. And then eventually there was a reforming of the uh, restructuring of the of the what was then the elderly and disabled committee and um, uh, over there at, at WMATA, which which Patrick chaired for many 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 years, and it became um, the accessibility advisory committee, which 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 Patrick also chaired for many many years. So. Um, I, I just want to say how impressed I personally was with his advocacy, and I went over to serve with him on 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 the WMATA AAC. And he, everybody in the room, stopped and listened. That's what one of our members said, but but, but that was my memory too. Whenever Charlie spoke, and 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 I was greatly impressed about his knowledge, but also his way to communicate and um, and just his own personal nature and, and such a, a, a wonderful, wonderful man and a gentleman with a capital G. And, Doris, um, thank you so much for it. your call. We, yeah, thank we, you. We very much appreciate it. This is Betsy Luking. Yes. I am the manager for the Commission on People with Disabilities. And I met Charlie back in the 90s when I had a meeting with the ACB and NFB regarding audible pedestrian signals from Montgomery County, Maryland. And there was total disagreement in the room. I had, I had an engineer with me. So I basically told them, we will not install any unless we can come to terms, which, which is going to be best for everyone. So long story short, I got them to agree to a certain kind and they were installed. So that was the start of my relationship with Charlie. Charlie later became a member of the Commission on People with Disabilities of Montgomery County and became vice chair. Now this commission advocates for all people with disabilities, mental, you know, uh, the whole gamut. And Charlie became such a leader because he was such an advocate for everyone. So I just wanted to put it in there. And lately, I've talked to him three times a week about the uh, floating bus stops and designated bike lanes, which he is strongly opposed to. And I'm hoping that Pat Sheehan and I can help to make, make a right out of all this for people so it's safer to you know, be a pedestrian in Montgomery County. Thank you so much for calling in. You're welcome. Excellent. Judy Jackson, please. Judy. Hi, everyone. Um, first of all, the, the interview that Paul was talking about earlier, I had the pleasure of doing for a class um, about four years ago um, when I was working on my master's in rehab. We had a gerontology class, and they told us that we had to interview an old person. <laughs> so um, I didn't consider Charlie old, but I considered him quite wise. And so I had the pleasure of at a legislative seminar um, to interview him. And there's um, three things that I want to um, I want to share with you guys that I was able to glean um, 
from that interview. And because um, I work in a voc rehab field, I think it's only fitting to talk a little bit about the first um, jobs that Charlie had. Um, one of them was to be, a, he was a cash register operator at a pharmacy. And he talks about that job and said that it was really hard for him because he couldn't see the cash register. Then the second job for him was a, a placement counselor. And this is this particular job um, that he talks about uh, really intrigued me. Um, he said that, um, that it was an interesting job. It was a, I'm not sure what I'm hearing in the background. Um, he was a job placement counselor position uh, because he got paid only for the jobs for whom he got the, the jobs that if he was able to get somebody a job, then he got paid. If they didn't get a job, he didn't get paid. I wonder what our VR counselors would do today if that's how they uh, were paid. Um, he left that job because he wasn't willing to compromise his ethical beliefs. And I think that's, that's so true. That's such a theme of what we've heard tonight about Charlie. He also um, worked as an intern uh, at the Department for the Attorney General. And um, he, he talked a lot about that. And he talked about how um, he, he sort of um, was a, a person who who really um, bridged the gap there in terms of working um, the attorney general using people with disabilities. But he, he talked about several different jobs. But then one of the questions that I asked him was, um, what was his greatest accomplishment? And I hope, um, Sue, um, that you're listening because he very proudly told me on that Sunday afternoon that his greatest accomplishment, and he had a lot of jobs, and everybody has talked a lot about what Charlie contributed and what he meant to them and what he did for the Blind Leadership Club and the this and the that. All of you have talked so eloquently about that. But, Sue, you were his greatest accomplishment. Oh. And I, I think that's so fitting. Um, and, 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 and he didn't hesitate. When I asked him, I said, what is your greatest accomplishment? Oh, no question. Marrying Susan Crawford. So um, I, I just thought that was so beautiful. And I remember getting really teary when he said that because it, it just, he said it uh, with such enthusiasm. And, and, and there was no question that he meant every word of it. And then the last thing I want to share, uh, um, you know, I, I'm definitely um, a nobody in ACB. I tried to run for secretary two or three times and um, was told quite resoundingly, no, we don't want you. And I've done some things in ACB, but I don't, I, I, you know, it, I was definitely a nobody. And, and Charlie never called me um, for anything, but I called Charlie for lots of things. And he was always very, very gracious. And he is a pretty significant factor, though I didn't know it at the time, in the job that I hold today as Director of Instruction um, for the Department for the Blind and Vision Impaired. 
I was preparing for my interview. And um, I was, I think, I think I was talking to Patrick and, and about the interview and I was nervous. And he said, well, you know, have you even thought about talking to Charlie? And I said, you know, I don't know. Charlie won't talk to me, whatever. And um, so, but I did, I, I called him and I said, you know, Charlie, I'm getting ready for this job. And, you know, there's a lot about the legislation. I don't know. And there's a, you know, I, I just, I'm really nervous. And he said, just remember that you always want a circle of influence. And he said, remember Title Seven. And I said, oh, yeah, of course, you know, Title Seven. They're not going to ask me about any legislative stuff anyway, so it doesn't really matter. I don't, but okay, Title Seven and the Rehab Act. And so um, the last question in my interview was, what legislative initiatives um, are part of the independent living um, movement? And it was, you know, I just, I remembered um, what Charlie had to say. Then <laughs> um, the, the, the final thing that, that I'll share is about in 2010, I went to work for um, the IRS. And um, that was a miserable existence, to say the least. And um, in 2012, I was let go. And I have to say that two of the most instrumental people um, during that, that time, besides Paul, um, were um, Charlie and Sue Crawford. And um, Charlie and Sue, I, I hope you remember, Sue um, stayed on the phone with me for many, many hours as I lamented and had lots of tears and didn't know what I was going to do. Um, because I, I just, I had, I had nothing, um, and no, no job to go to. And uh, it was a really hard time, but Charlie and Sue were so encouraging and meant so much to me at such a dark time. But the most important thing is that Sue was his greatest accomplishment. Thank you. Judy, thank you so much. Artists, please. Ms. Basin. Yes. I just wanted to mention a couple of things that I remember vividly. I was on the board when Charlie was executive director, and I was so disappointed in the circumstances that happened. But two things he did during his time as executive director, uh, one of them was putting some strategic items together about the Randolph Shepard program, what the best strategies were to move forward. And he had put so much excellent thought into what he wrote about it. And it was submitted to NCSAB and I'm not sure where else, but it was a very, very good document he wrote. And the other thing was more personal. Uh, in um, 1999, I decided I was gonna change careers and start my current business. And when I was talking to Charlie about it, and uh, we got to chit-chatting about, you know, how to get money to get some funding, et cetera, he told me about an organization called Opportunities for the Blind. And it was an organization at that time which funded entrepreneurs uh, with a grant, as long as you uh, provided a 
business plan and some uh, reference letters. And Charlie provided a reference letter for me. And that was the starting point of where I got funding for my current business. And I so appreciated his thoughtfulness in being concerned about a member and just wanting to be helpful. And those are the two big things I remember. And I just remember his courageous movement forward after his, um, his aneurysm. And it was just wonderful. And I'm just sorry to see him leave so early. Thanks. Thanks, Artis. Let's take one more if we can, just before we, we, we invite Terry to speak once more. But is there one more hand? Sure. Nicole Strong, please. Nicole, how are you, dear? Hi, hi. So happy to be able to join the call. Um, I could say many things, I think, about Charlie and the good times that we had when we lived in Washington. Uh, wonderful talks in the backyard where he would, you know, I, I think he made a personal impact on me and uh, was certainly a mentor. Always had, you know, positive things to say. Always tell lots of jokes and he would look at me in particular, uh, catch my gaze, you know, and... and <laughs> see if I was laughing or, you know, that whatever response. And I was always uh, struck by the fact that, uh, you know, he would look at me and uh, be very expressive and, and whatnot. Uh, on mm -hmm. We had many wonderful suppers and would, you know, we'd get together multiple times a week. And um, it, it was just a fantastic time. He knew I loved John Wayne, so he would, uh, <laughs> different voices, of course, so he would often, often talk to me in the John Wayne voice. Uh, but... Uh, Four years ago, we actually managed to plan a trip down to Puerto Rico. So I know when you were talking about his early days, uh, he actually lived in Puerto Rico there for a while. Yep. And Phil and I and Charlie and Sue uh, made a trip to Puerto Rico. We rented a car and I drove around uh, Puerto Rico. We got to go to his university and to a grade school and uh, just so many wonderful memories. And, and it, you know, I think, I think he really enjoyed going back there and, and, having that experience and, uh, and we certainly enjoyed it as well. And seeing Puerto Rico through his eyes, you know, uh, it, it was just a wonderful experience. And, you know, just, just a man that I really truly admired and loved being with. And uh, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Nicole, thank you so much. Terry. <clears throat> yes, yes. Um, one other quick thing about the, the most recent times is he was very recently um, appointed as or elected as a board, Ameri board member emeritus of the Equal Rights Center. And I know that always meant a lot to him, working with the Equal Rights Center. Um, what I want to say now is I, Susan is listening tonight, and she has asked me to thank all of you for all of the great contributions uh, this evening, and for all the great memories that you've all brought up, um, good, bad, and indifferent, we've had, uh, it's been a, they've thoroughly enjoyed their, their lives together. They've been a, a fabulous couple together. And she just wants you all to know that you are all considered friends, um, of course, of hers. And you are all such wonderful friends to Charlie. And she thanks you all very, very much. Miss Terry, thank you so much. I don't know how to sum up a, a program like tonight. 
I don't think it's I don't think it's easy to to take a life and dissect it in a radio program and expect that it will sparkle. And yet I think in a very real way, the various stories that we've that we've heard about Charlie have helped, I think, a lot of us to focus what our strongest memories are and what are our most important recollections of Charlie are. I think that it's important when we look at a life like Charlie's is to recognize that we're the center of the pond, all of us who've spoken tonight, but there are ripples that go out from us that Charlie left behind, which spread all across this country and all around the world. And those ripples are the ripples of rightness and correctness and, and goodness that, that Charlie, at, at his core, was responsible for sharing and evolving and making a part of the life he lived. I want to end tonight with a quote from Charlie himself, and it was actually a part of the interview that Judy was talking about. She asked him, what advice would you give to a blind person? And he said, be yourself. There is no one better. Charlie was himself. There's no question that there are very few people that I've known in my life who are better than Charlie. It's been an honor to me to preside over this opportunity to get to know a giant in our field a little bit better. And if we as pygmies can live up to the expectations that he had of us, we will do an excellent job. Next week on Tuesday Topics, we're going to do another of our debates. Um, and we are, we are going to explore the role that partially sighted folks play in ACB. Are they the kings in the country of the blind? Or are they left out and ignored by all of us totals? I hope that lots of you will join us and participate in that debate. We'll have an exciting panel and an opportunity, I think, uh, to have some interesting discussion about how people who are blind and people who are partially sighted interact. Only 10% of the blind people in this country are totally blind, but I would suggest to you that in ACB, they have a lot more power than 10%. Hmm. Please join us on Tuesday Topics next week. And in the meantime, remember that a life remembered and shared is a life that will never fade away. Thank you for being with us on Tuesday Topics, and good night.